0: Welcome to the Disability Advocacy Hour with the Family Cafe.
1: I'm Joe McCann. And I'm Jeremy Countryman. And we're staff members here at the Family Cafe headquarters in Tallahassee, Florida.
0: Since 1998, the Family Cafe has been providing opportunities for individuals with disabilities and their families to connect with each other, educate themselves about Florida's service delivery system, and develop the skills to influence public policy.
1: We believe that for communities to become more inclusive of people with disabilities, their voices need to be heard. To help make that happen, we've created this podcast, the Disability Advocacy Hour. In this podcast series, we'll examine all facets of living with a disability and the issues impacting the disability community.
0: Please keep in mind that the Family Cafe is a thoroughly nonpartisan organization, and any thoughts or opinions shared by invited speakers, ourselves, or other participants solely represent those individuals who do not necessarily reflect the positions of the Family Cafe.
1: Hi, everybody. And welcome again to the Family Cafe Disability Advocacy Hour podcast. We're really excited to have a longtime friend of the Family Cafe and uh, yes. noted Florida disability advocate J.R. Harding here with us today. Um, and of course, Joe is here with me, too, <laughs> as always. So, Joe, why don't you give us a little bit of background about Jr. before we invite him to introduce himself? Thank you
0: very much, Jeremy. And um, good morning, Jr. How you doing? Um, we're going to talk a little bit today about transition. Uh, we're going to talk about transition to college and then the important transition from college to the workforce. JR is a national expert in this and many other issues. We are uh, really happy to have JR with us today. He's a longtime friend of both of ours, uh, Jeremy, and also of the cafe itself. I'm going to let JR introduce himself, but let me just say that, uh, JR, I think you were the recipient this past week of, of another honor. Uh, to to add to your list of many honors and that is the Biscardi Award um, which is a leadership advocacy award for people with um, disabilities who have changed the landscape um, at the state and federal level, local state and federal level so congratulations for that JR. Uh, I'll just mention that just right now JR is uh, on the faculty of uh, Florida State University uh, at the College of Business within the Management Department uh, and um, we we really appreciate you being with us. If we if we may, Jr. Why don't you just introduce yourself to our listeners a little bit? Tell us a little bit about your background, and then we can go from there, man.
2: Well, certainly. Thank you, Joe and Jeremy, for inviting me to continue my longest-standing relationship with uh cafe. I think we mentioned off air that I've taught or participated at twenty-one of your twenty-three family cafes and so I'm right up there with Lori in terms of commitment to the cause Uh, and oh it's exciting yes so who is JR well um, you know family man married work volunteer um, like to have fun and um, always feel that Each of us have an obligation to be a trailblazer, a frontier, a a, a pioneer of sorts in which we must constantly be pushing west for us individuals with disabilities to express and find that manifest destiny that we are all uh, entitled to and expected to contribute to the American landscape. I am a two-time quadriplegic. People are like, well, what do you mean? Yes, that means I had two separate spinal cord injuries. And um, over Thanksgiving here, this past uh, break, mom and I, we were talking about how when I first had my injury, 16 years old, my senior year of high school, the doctor said to my parents, he might get 20 years. Well, that was 38 years ago, and that was before the second injury. So I I think I, like many others, need to continue to prove doctors wrong, continue to prove um, that we have something to contribute, and that we have skills and abilities, aspirations, hopes, love, and desires, just like anybody else, right? Right. With or without a disability um, doesn't mean you can't participate fully. So Mm -hmm. that's been my mantra from the beginning of uh, my time. And I've always felt that we should get off of the sidelines of life and be engaged in the game of life.
1: Well, we certainly agree with that uh, perspective here at the Family Cafe. We're all about supporting people throughout Florida and the world doing exactly that. Um, One of the reasons we invited you here today, though, was to talk uh, specifically about one aspect of getting off the sidelines and being involved in life, and that's through uh, higher education and academia. So, as Joe mentioned in your introduction, um, you're on the faculty at Florida State University, and uh, we we're hoping you could offer some insight for people out there who are thinking about their own higher education options as people with disabilities. But I was just curious, you know, having known you for a long time and known that you've been in academia, uh, involved in a a lot of different ways and that your disability was something that happened in your life kind of at that transition age before students typically uh, start attending colleges and universities. Tell us a little bit about what your own uh, academic and uh, post-high school path has been like in terms of your education? What was that experience like back in the day when um, you initially were an adolescent and how'd you get to where you are now as being part of academia?
2: Well, oh, thank you, Jeremy, that's that's a deep question. And it's deep because obviously I, I didn't have a spinal cord injury heading into that senior year. And as I was filling out applications, I was one of those individuals being recruited to play football and row boats, right? Being six foot five and 230 pounds, bigger and taller and could jump faster and higher than others that, right? The rules were a little different and perhaps they're different for those who have special skills, right? People who seek you out. And so college I always knew I was going to college. It was expected that I would go to college. My parents had gone to college. My grandparents had gone to college. There was no doubt that I was going to college. And then all of a sudden life changed. Right, And it changed in a big way. And instead of going to prom and doing all of those magical pieces that the senior year really crazy in high school, I was struggling for life, right? Nearly seven years, uh, I mean, seven uh, weeks in the ICU, just struggling to live. And then transitioning into the uh, therapy and rehab and learning how to live with a disability while also doing my schoolwork. Because to me... I had always seen it as a temporary stop that I was going to get back in that game, Jeremy. And um, then the question was, where could I go to college? Could I go to college? And then all of a sudden I needed test scores, right? I needed Mm -hmm. legitimate SAT scores. Um, And my first football GPA of a 2-2 was, maybe not quite good enough to actually get into school. Um, And then of course, there was no Americans with Disabilities Act in the early 1980s. We had just only recently received the implementation of the Rehab Act that was signed into law in 1978. Even though it was passed in 73, it Mm -hmm. took a number of years to get it through the regulatory process. Mm-hmm. So in those early eighties, we had very few schools who had any experience with inclusion of people with disabilities. Now, thankfully, um, one of the state schools in Kentucky did accept my moderate GPA and recognized that I was an underachiever academically and that despite uh, some poor performances in high school in terms of the GPA world, that I could compete and I could be competitive. And I ended up becoming the first ever student with a profound disability to attend Western Kentucky. So when you talk about being different, when you talk about being marginalized, when you talk about not necessarily fitting in, I get it, right? I'll never be a person of color, but I know what it's like to be different. I was one of 35,000 students. I was the guinea pig, right? I didn't just get to show up at 18, right? And have fun and break away and stay up late, right? I was learning how to deal with my personal care assistants. Who would care for me? How could I pay for them, right? Back then, the dorms had to be created with accessible spaces for me. So everybody was in my business. I couldn't just be a young person learning how to, you know come of age, right? Everybody, how are you doing today? What can we do to make your life better? How, right? Um, things like how about getting food at the uh, cafeteria, right? We all had to have a meal plan, and so it was it was a challenge going because. I had to be an open book. I had to be willing to to stand in front on stage. I right? I had to learn how to ask for help, and then more importantly, how to receive that help and be comfortable with it, guys.
0: Yeah, that's and, that's a that's a that's a great point. I think you know it, go, it comes to humility. I'm I'm just. I'm amazed at you know at that point in your life. I mean, at 16 years old, to be faced with that level of difficulty and the necessity to be as mature as you obviously were needing to be. I assume you were going to play football somewhere. I mean, my God, you know that's that's um, that's a big life change, and you you hit on it. I think exactly the, the the key to humility is not just being able to give, but to be to be able to receive without having any expectation of giving, being able to give anything back is, is a, is the real lesson there. So, yeah.
2: And and it was, and I found that the world was really inviting and really giving. They just needed to know how they could help because most of the world, and this is still true today, that 80% of the world just, for no other reason, lacks experience with individuals with disabilities. Right. And people want to know how to help them, right? And gotcha. so that, that took on that journey. And you give me too much credit, Joe, in terms of being mature. I was- far from the
0: <laughs> Well, I do know you well enough to know it's a little bit of a- No, I'm just kidding. Well, Joe, was... Joe
1: has a low bar for that anyway. I meant back then, right. right.
2: I, I, I wasn't mature. I was, you know, trying to be an adolescent, coming of age and doing all the things that you do do when you're that age. Yes, I drank beer underage. Yes, I, you know, didn't say skip me, right, you know, <laughs> and, and those kinds of things. I didn't study as much as I wanted to, right. Um, academic performance wasn't really an important thing. Peace. being invited to go to the party, being asked to go to the game. Those were the important pieces. And, and it took a long time to evolve and get comfortable in this space. And so it, it took a few years. And then amazingly, um, I was recruited by a school in Ohio called Wright State with the W, um, outside of Dayton, Ohio. And this was one of the Disney worlds of universities for persons with disabilities. They had all of the physical elements. They had all the programmatic accessibility. They had personal care services. They had figured out all the little um, challenges. And they had over 1,500 students with disabilities fully integrated into the um, campus culture. And it was here that I was really able then to accept this new identity, own this new identity, be unafraid of this new identity and then really come of age. And so I would highly recommend to all of your listeners out there that they investigate, that they find the right match from a cultural standpoint, from a physical standpoint, from a programmatic standpoint that a college campus and its environment will make a difference in terms of your um, excellence, or not so excellence in terms of why you're there. Not only are you going to a university for that education and skills and ability, but you're also going to grow as a person and find out who you are. So you have the academics and the social components moving at the same time.
0: Critical. That's critical. Hey, so we're going to drill down a little bit on that because it's the right time of the year. Obviously, I know Jeremy, you've done that with your son, and I'm doing it with mine for the for the last of three times. So you know it's that time of year when everybody's applying. Jr., tell us a little bit about your role at FSU, what you do, and then let's talk about some pointers for parents. Um, whose, whose children are, are looking at universities, what to look for that you would otherwise not know? You know, give us some inside information on that.
2: Well, uh, well, basically, I, I'm a faculty member like anybody would understand it. I teach a number of classes at the uh, um, freshman level as well as the upper division level. I I focus on workforce inclusion and leadership, right? Those are two, my, my two specialties and I'm carrying the message and equipping our future managers and HR experts so they have the skills and abilities to accommodate and comply with the Americans with Disabilities Act, but more importantly, giving them the empathy, right, to yeah. understand, right, each of us as persons. So uh, it's exciting to uh, to teach this next generation. It's exciting to bridge this gap between the what I call the 2080 split, meaning 20 percent of us get us because you know you have a family member, you have a cousin, an uncle, an aging parent. Something um, gives you a reason to understand, just like the family cafe audience. Right, one in five have a disability, but then there's that eighty percent for no other reason. Just like me, prior to my disability, I had no no reason to understand, no reason to have experiences with individuals with disabilities until it was a necessity. And, and so, being taking these students on a transformational experience, helping them build out that Oregon Trail to allow people to be successful and to help them uh, get to where they want to be. So, uh, so it's really exciting I just received a nice note from a student um, this morning saying this was the best class I had this semester. Thanks for making a difference. Right, and and so that's really cool. So going to your question of what do parents do? What do the students do? Well, I would say to all of the parents that it's time to allow your sons and daughters, right, to run a little bit. They need to be able to be independent and self-sufficient. They need to maybe fall down a few times. And it's your job to help pick them up, right? You can't do it all for them. And that's part of what the college experience is about because they're gonna go from K-12 where everything was provided for them an entitlement environment, IDEA, equal education, right? And the systems brought all the tools together and you mom and dad were making decisions for your sons or daughters. But now all of a sudden in post-secondary, this is an otherwise qualified environment. It's kind of like going to work. You don't hire somebody unless they have the skills and abilities to make a difference. Well, you don't get into college unless you have the skills and abilities to earn your way in. It's not an entitlement to go to college. Furthermore, then your son or daughter has to become that advocate. They have to express their needs. They have to go to their faculty members. They need to register at the Office of Disabled Resource Center. They need to be able to coordinate and otherwise control their uh, um, accommodations within the classroom and in their extracurricular environments, right? Mom and dad are not there. And furthermore, me as a faculty member, if I get a phone call from you, Joe, to say, hey, my kid's not doing very well in your class, well, I'm simply gonna say, well, thank you for the call, Joe, but there's nothing I can do for you. Right because your kid's now an adult, right? And I'm not allowed to talk to you about your kid's performance, right? It kind of gets back to those medical waivers and things like that. Each of us are adults, right? You have to give permission to allow others to be involved in your life. Well, so your sons and daughters need to be in a position to understand what their needs are have some experience expressing what those needs are and then being grateful right and not a bit of an ass to others (laughs) and expressing some of those needs
1: exactly yeah that is a difficult transition i i just want to return to it i think it's such an important point um and, you know, I've gone through this myself and, and looked at it in other contexts uh, with things you've done here at the Family Cafe, but the sort of regulatory framework and the expectations between the K-12 system and uh, higher education are completely different. You know, you have an IEP, you have a, a set of rights that are guaranteed to you in the public education system through high school, and then you know, once you get to college, the onus really shifts from the system being obligated to accommodate you for you having to be that advocate for yourself, Turning to be a um, which is, yeah. it can be hard to do. It can be intimidating to do, you know, when you're 17, you're 18 years old.
2: Um, oh, and, and you're quite right. And it also continues into grad school or beyond grad school and that whole academic environment. Uh, and so, you need to get your paperwork in on time, right? You are entitled to reasonable accommodations. Let's make it clear to folks out there: you are entitled to some um, tools and resources that make the playing field equal, but you don't get a competitive advantage because of your disability. Right. Right. And then those services maybe you need a little extra time on your test taking well the faculty person needs to know ahead of time and it needs to be put in the system you don't get to fail the test and then go back and tell your professor right. oh I didn't have my accommodation well accommodations only go forward they don't go right. retro uh, don't go backwards
1: yes i've lived that very experience this semester with my son so i can can tell everybody out there that that is true (laughs) what other kind of pieces of advice do you think are important for you know students and and families when they're thinking about how to make sure that they get what they need to create that level playing field when they're in the academic environment
2: well um first let's go back to choosing the, the right community college state college university public or private. Right. Uh, Okay. I would say that you need to do your due diligence just like anybody else. Go go do that site visit. Okay. Roll around on the campus. Maybe you have a mobility impairment like I do. Well campuses with a lot of hills might not be the perfect environment. And in fact, going back to that first university I went to, Western Kentucky, their nickname is the Hilltopper.
1: Exactly. It's one (laughs) of my favorite uh, college nicknames, the Hilltoppers. I was going to bring that up. I didn't know you were a Hilltopper.
2: Right. Well, and so on that note, uh, Jeremy, I fell out of my wheelchair almost once a week on that campus. Wow. Wow. Okay, and part of it is, if you're familiar, there's only two highways going down that hill, one on one side and one on the other. And all thirty five thousand students are crammed on these two little freeways. Well, I was grooving in and out of the the students on the sidewalk like I was an A.J. Foyt or (laughs) NASCAR (laughs) racer. And what happened is I lost control of my wheelchair. And went flying off of the sidewalks and the curbs. And so that didn't turn out to be necessarily the right place. And then this right state, they had underground tunnel systems. So you didn't have to go out in the 50 below freezing cold weather, right? They had a nice tunnel system. And it was connected to the dorms and all kinds of neat little tricks. They even had an on-campus like a respite area, just like we do at the family cafe for the participants. There's a little breakout area. If you know, you have a little bladder or bowel problem. Well, on this particular campus, they had a spot for students with disabilities where they could go and they had um, nursing students and other folks who were specializing and the uh, uh, mental health or physical science environments to have on-campus jobs that would build bridges between our communities. So going back to that idea of doing a site visit, does the dormitory have the needs that you need, right?
0: Well, I mean, you bring and, up a great point because there's compliance, and then there's really compliance, right?
2: You got so, it. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate that. That's right. You are the minimum compliance, which is the basic threshold. And is minimum the standard that you want for your family or for your workplace or what Family Cafe stands for? The answer is no. Right? It's yeah. are you meeting the the spirit of inclusion? And those are the things that you would get from a a site visit. Go interview the Office of Disabled Services. Do you feel as if those folks are really listening? Do they have the tools? What do other students with disabilities say? Could you interview them? Right, why did they choose Florida State or UF or FAU or West Florida, right? Because every university may have a different niche or a different skill set, even though they accommodate everybody, Mm -hmm. Joe, right? right, at the minimum. But maybe some schools are really much better at different disability groups. Like, for example, North Florida has a really neat program for some of the developmentally disabled.
0: Yeah, I, are, I was, I was going to ask you, I mean, that's a great point. Is there, you know, because there's, you're right, there's the minimum level of compliance and then there's, you know, what they're really doing. And there's the culture of the institution. But and you know. that being said, is there something, I mean, what are the best schools that you know of doing? I mean, in this universe where obviously, you know, it's fair to expect a certain amount of compliance from all the schools, what are the best schools doing? Like, what do you hear about a university doing? And you, and you think, wow, that's a huge commitment. That's a, real, that's a real deal school. Is there anything, do you know what I'm saying?
2: Well, I, I, I think each university has created some little niches. Like here at Florida State, we created this University of Choice um, student group, which is kind of like a, uh, an advocacy group a social group and a leadership group here on campus. And the cafe participated in one of their little uh, um, events last, last October. I think um, Gainesville has a really modern dormitory with actual um, ceiling um, mobility lift mechanisms to help you get in and out of your wheelchair. Um, Some schools have uh, adaptive sport teams. Where do you think our Paralympians, right, our track stars or basketball stars or wheelchair rugby, wheelchair soccer, those kinds of things. So different schools from Arizona to Wright State to, um, what is it, uh, Berkeley to University of Illinois, each state kind of has their own little carve out. And depending upon what your disability or your academic interest, as well as your extracurricular interest, may shape that school you choose. And so staying here in Florida might not be necessarily the best choice for some individuals. So again, going back out to selecting the right school with the right culture, with the right programs that meet your son or daughter's interest.
1: Yeah, I know for my son, one of the things he was concerned about was actually class size. You know, he wanted to go to a smaller school with a smaller class size. so We could have more individual interaction with the instructors because of his, uh, his speech issues due to his cerebral palsy. So, you know, I think, I think you're right. I think for every student and every family, when you're going through this process, you need to see what's out there and see how the culture meets your needs and see how, yeah. the, I think that's also a great point to look at sort of what resources match the specific disability need of any given student because you know, you can get very uh, detailed in what exactly you need to help you and what different places have. Well,
2: and- well Jeremy, that's, you, you raised a great point there. And in my own disability journey, I dealt with those challenges Were you in a classroom with a thousand other students or were you in a classroom with 50 other students? Right. Okay, and the truth is once you get up to your junior senior year or graduate school, everybody's in those small classes, but it's those first two or three years that make the difference of whether or not you're going to excel. And so in some cases, Jeremy, maybe going to that great big school, the Florida State, the University of Florida, the Central Florida, even though Central Florida's got a great disability resource center, they have 55,000 students. They have more students than any other school in the state of Florida. Yeah. Okay. So maybe a North Florida or a West Florida or a community college might be the better fit for that very issue you were raising, Jeremy.
0: You know, the takeaway from this before we get into workforce, I want to just say in terms of our listeners, and I assume this is something that you really need to do beforehand, but to have that, that young person to be prepared for the independence, to be able to be a self-advocate, that's really something that we need to be working on, you know, before you get dropped off in front of the Stroger Library, right? Yeah.
2: Uh, Well, absolutely. And going back to otherwise qualified, the university is not required to accommodate you unless you're willing to self-determine, right? Hmm. So unless you raise your hand and say, I have a disability, right? There Hmm. are no expectations or reasonable
0: accommodations. That's a great point. Yeah, because, you know, not everybody's disability is, uh, you know, clearly visible and clearly obvious as well.
2: And in fact, the majority of individuals with disabilities are not visible. Yeah. Most Sorry. of us are hide in plain sight. That's right. right. And that kind of is a nice segue into the workforce. So we're always transitioning, right? We go yes. from, from middle school to high school to college to the workforce. It's kind of like going from single life to married life to family life to grandparents' life.
0: That's right. It eases you into it. The hardest one being the last.
2: We're constantly evolving over this lifespan that we go through, this continuum of sorts. And, And so mastering your disability mastering your accommodations and then of course being good at certain skill sets either as a thinker or a programmer or as an engineer or as an advocate you want to be the best at something so you can distinguish yourself despite
0: your disability. That's great advice I mean that's great advice yeah. Yeah
1: that's absolutely true. Um, You know it's interesting to me that you spend a lot of your time uh, in the College of, of uh, Business talking to people who are gonna be working in the business world in the future about you know, disability and inclusion and how to sort of create a space for people with disabilities to succeed in the business environment. Um, but I'm kind of curious as to your thoughts or like what, what kind of advice do you have for perhaps the student with a disability who is in uh, college now is thinking about the next transition into the workforce. Yeah. What are the things that you think are most important to equip that student with? What are the things you think they should avail themselves when they're trying to plan their next step?
2: Well, first I think they need to appreciate the fact that they got to college, they've already distinguished themselves from, their, uh, from many of their peers because everyone doesn't get to go to college. And college isn't for everyone. But having said that, every time we go to the next game, you know, uh, you, you move from intramurals, right, to club sports, to junior varsity sports, to varsity sports. That's kind of like evolving or transitioning up the, that educational food chain to the workplace, and that you want someone to pay you to do something, right? Because you yeah. have the skills and abilities, you're bringing value, right? Well, for students with disabilities, I want to be clear with your audience here: that we're not working in the workforce at a level of uh, at the same level as everybody else. There right. are conscious and unconscious. And structural barriers that create, let's say, an unfair outcome. Whether it's right or wrong, it is what it is. So that if you really want to be able to have that career and that job, you need to, you need to be good. You need to be comfortable in your skin and you need to make sure other people are comfortable around you so they don't feel like this person is weird or different. It's just Joe or Jeremy or JR who happens to have a disability, not, oh, he has a disability. Right. So, so digging into this workspace... You want to get as many skills, as many experiences, and as many champions for you so that the rest of the world understands that, hey, I'm JR first, who happens to have a disability. And any reasonable accommodations that may come along with JR are not only reasonable, appropriate, but guess what? He's going to be paying it forward beyond that. So it's an investment rather than thinking some kind of obligation under the law.
0: So be really good at what you do and what you're doing.
2: In addition to that, you need um, experience. We all need experience. Mm -hmm. Okay. The rules aren't different because we have a disability, the rules are just more challenging because we have a disability. We have these social norms of when are you ready? So I would say that soon as your son or daughter gets to college, they need to start working on that resume. Yeah, And if not before, you know, I know Jeremy, I know Joe, You guys all had jobs when you were 13, 14, 15, right? It was called cutting the grass. It was called (laughs) shoveling the snow. It was called babysitting. It was called working at McDonald's, right? These things, just because you have a disability doesn't mean you shouldn't be getting work experience along the way. So right away, coming out of the gates, Have you had an internship? No, because today, when we show up at college, they want to know what your major is. They're asking you at 18 years of age.
0: Right. What are you going to do for the rest of your life?
2: life? What are you going to do for the rest of your life? Are you kidding me? All right, guys, you're both parents. You're asking your kid to make that decision at 18. You know that's not a realistic expectation and guess what all of us have changed jobs three or four times during our careers
0: that's true that's a great point yeah Mm. that's my 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 standard for my guys is pretty much let's not make a decision that screws up our life moving forward (laughs) there's also like we can make a good decision for today but let's not make an exceptionally bad decision that will impact us moving forward or something that's going to narrow our choices too much exactly
2: and uh, right and uh, what, how? How do we get wisdom? We get wisdom from making bad decisions. That's and true. That's what we're trying to impart on
0: our kids. That's why. Like I so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's why I am like the Dalai Lama. <laughs> bad decisions of wisdom due right. to my well, bad decision making.
2: <laughs> you, you only get wisdom from making bad choices, and you have to make some bad choices to get some wisdom. So it works both ways. So go. Listen,
0: it's very scary for parents. I mean, you know, it's it's you know, this is one of those easier said than done. I mean, I do appreciate how scary it is for parents with children with a disability, you know, to let them fail. But I was talking about this the other day. Just you know, I mean, it's really one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids is is to let them fall on their face from time to time, and and to not. Be this assumed and automatic, you know, bailout, but that's that's hard to do when you have a child with a do. disability. It you know? is hard to do because
1: you spend the first, you know, however many years yeah. of their life before they're an adult, you know, being their advocate, going to IEP right. meetings, you know, trying to make sure they're got everything taken care of, they need to take care of. And then one day you kind of have to uh wean yourself off of doing that. I mean, start training right. them, early. and, and so in I mean, the
2: sense of what I hear you both saying and I would agree with you here, is the college experience is actually an experience for mom and dad to learn how to let folks fall down, okay, and for your son or daughter to learn how to pick themselves up, right? Absolutely. And that happens for each assignment, each test, each class, each semester, along that journey. So guess what? You know, it shows up and says, hey, I want to be a special ed teacher. Well, you know what? Maybe they need to get out there at the schools and do some observations and some volunteering. And they're to say, well, do I really want to do this? Right, because sometimes the best internship is the one that you learn, maybe I don't want to be a lawyer.
0: That's right. Yeah, no that's exactly right I mean that's just a let me ask you this question so I assume that most just to kind of put a bow on the on the transition thing I, I have two questions for you I assume that in most schools there's there's will be an office a disability you know advocacy sort of a, of, a, of a program that can help with some of that they should obviously go and while you're you know as soon as you can to be thinking about the next transition in your life, to figure out what resources they have available to you and start utilizing right. them right away. Because I mean, there's nothing sadder than you know having all of these resources available to you and then not utilizing them. So yeah, go and do that. And then just my last question, when you're done with that, Jr. is just what should and this is a little bit off the off the script here. But what 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 should the workforce world be doing differently? Like how what do they? I absolutely know there's a lot of inequity, but what needs to change on the on that end? And is there anything we can do? to to make that happen moving forward.
2: Well, let's start with your first question. Um, How do you get your internships and how are you making um, available of the resources? You're right. Colleges and universities have a whole lot of resources all geared toward giving you those experiences you need. Okay, but... The Office of Disabled Services only focuses on accommodations. Their job isn't to go find you the internship. That's on you. and But you can work with their career center, which is a different resource group on campus. Okay? Yep. So finding the right, let's say teams or the right tools in the toolbox for those specific needs. Maybe you wanna um, you know, create a, uh, uh, you know, uh, a club of sorts. Well, then you go over to the uh, student affairs outfit and uh, understand how do you put a uh, club yeah. together. And then you show your leadership and you write up the constitution. You get your members and you all apply and you have meetings and you begin doing whatever it is that the club has come together to do. Um, on the flip side, that's the career center. You have the career centers for the university and each college has specific career liaisons. How about, Traveling overseas, I know with COVID and so forth right now, traveling uh, um, is not something we all can do right now because of our health and safety issues. But I would highly recommend to all of our sons and daughters that you need to get out of Tallahassee, you need to get out of Gainesville, you need to get out of Miami, you need to see other folks through experience those environments and find out what kinds of real life challenges you might have in your area of an engineer or a political scientist or a biologist or a um, entrepreneur. What are the tools and the resources and the experiences you need to give you a feel for that industry?
0: Awesome. So uh, what, about, what about the, uh, just in terms of the second question a little bit, I mean, is there anything, you know, we, we take positions every year and, you know, we help advocate for things. Is there, is there in your mind, an, uh, sort of an overarching workforce thing well, that
2: we're I, working on? Well, I, I try and, with my students, I try and give them takeaways at the end of each lecture's. And and helping them understand what's out there. And one of my takeaways uh, during one of the lectures is called the four A's. Companies need the right attitude. They need the right access. They need to accommodate. And then they need to assimilate. The assimilation part, that's the biggest component. So are companies actually recruiting students with disabilities, right? Are they creating an environment that speaks to us? Going back to that culture that we talked about, right? Do we belong? For example, we all go shopping for groceries, right? And we have choices to do that with, but there are some stores that speak to us differently than other stores and it's the way they were designed. How, where do we park? How do we get in? How do the doors open and who's working there? And does that workforce reflect our community? Right. Yes or no. Right. And Mm -hmm. those then choices affect where we, where we want to go shopping. So likewise, in the workforce, where did your son or daughter get some high school experience? Right, what company created that a mentorship? Once they got in, did they have a chance to, right, get the accommodations they needed? Was there structural barriers? So, in other words, did you know, did the company just build to the minimum compliance or did they build uh,
1: to a universal design?
0: Yeah, what I hear you saying is what is their corporate culture really like?
1: Yeah, it's funny. Just like we were talking about the cultures in the uh, around individual uh, institutions of higher education, I guess the same thing is true in the employment world, you know, the culture within an organization is going to really dictate how well it can accommodate and assimilate people with disabilities.
2: Right. And then how well they are able to exceed or excel in their space. Because, you know what, diversity drives innovation. Innovation drives profits. Well, if you don't have different people sitting around the table, you're not going to have a different set of perspectives, okay? Okay. I I tell a story once, uh, about 10 or 15 years ago, I I tried to get on the board of directors for Target. I like Target over Walmart. I just, (laughs) okay, that store speaks to me better than Walmart.
1: That's something you have in common with Lori Fahey then. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) right.
2: Okay, and I... Was just browsing because I own Target stock, and I said, "Hey, I want to get, I want to become a director, just like a trustee, or, or or be one of the people in charge." And so I sent notes to all of the uh, board of directors and said, "Hey, I I want to join your team." And I got a call from their legal affairs office and said, "Hey, are you the person who's harassing our board of directors?" <laughs> and Well, I wouldn't classify it that way, but yes, I'll take ownership that I'm the one who is writing the letter. And he and I joked for a little bit, and then we had a conversation, and he said, part of my role is to find qualified people to serve as directors. Well, in order to be qualified to serve as a director, yes, you need some certain skill sets. You need understanding of financial matters you need that experience at the, uh, you know, being the captain of the boat, right? And if you're not um, having that experience, then you could run into some problems. Well, long story short, I didn't get to be recruited as a director of Target, but two years after my correspondence with them, they ended up getting sued for the lack of website accessibility. Well, you know, if I was just simply a poster child sitting there in that room, that would have come up with effective communication. How do people buy and sell things right now? It's called Amazon, right? Right. Yep. right. Uh, they're they're killing it right now. And now the targets and the Walmarts and the Publix are all trying to figure out how to find online space. How can we better create a digital space that is more inclusive, that allows a screen reader to manipulate, right? That you don't get timed out and you're not a robot, right? Those kinds of things. So I say going back to finding that cultural fit, finding that diversity, Finding those individual leaders in the companies that have the empathy to bring in diversity to represent our communities and to represent our needs.
0: That's well said. That's very well said, Jair. We really we appreciate that and we really appreciate all your uh all your thoughts on this, it's uh it's really helpful. And I hope people who have kids either on one end of the college experience will will pay attention to that. And uh it sounds like you have so much experience in this, but also in talking to some parents, you know, I, I can sense that through kind of what you're saying here in, in terms of talking with the parents. It's hard for everybody. I mean, you're right, it's a learning experience for all and you know, yeah.
2: Right. As we wrap up, guys. Think about finding the bliss for your kid. Yeah. What are they good at and what do they enjoy doing and what would they enjoy doing? And if you enjoy doing what you do, it's not work. It's really fun. And when it's fun, you bring your best to it every single day. And I would say... To each of you parents out there, be unafraid. Look at the natural world. The mama bird kicks the bird out of the nest. Hmm. The bird has to learn to fly. You're not always going to be there and they have to be able to be self-sufficient to their highest level possible. And you can equip them with the extra tools and the accommodations they need to be successful. So it's your role to evolve with your kid as they evolve over the, you know, coming to of age.
0: Jr. before we let you go, as somebody who's been to, we think, 21 family cafes, we must ask you, Uh, Do you have a favorite family cafe story or a time when it touched you? Um, Tell us your favorite family cafe moment, if there is one. My My
2: favorite cafe moment is how to describe the cafe to those who are uninitiated. To me, the cafe is a representation of the modern world the chaos of the world, the diversity of the world, and the beauty of that diversity. And when you show up on a Saturday at the cafe with 10,000 of us under one roof, one tent, and one location, it's the big tent. It is the action, it's the energy. It is just the exciting part of life that, um, I think it's transformative for anybody to go. They will be a different person from the time they um, go to the time they come back, right? So I would encourage anybody who is listening to this um, uh, podcast to attend, to meet new friends, to support one another and to help each other be successful. And the cafe is one of those tools to make that happen.
1: Well, we uh, definitely appreciate that. And, you know, speaking of the annual family cafe, we do have another one coming up in June, the 23rd annual family cafe. Um, you know, it's absolutely true. I think that when you see all those people in one place at one time, it's a it's a really transformative experience, as you put it. I'll never forget the first time I had that experience almost 15 years ago. Um, and anyone out there in our audience, you'll get to have that experience right. ideally this June yeah. in Orlando. So speaking of that, I just want to remind uh, our audience that we're always looking for presenters for the annual family cafe. Jr. has been there as a presenter many times. It's done a wonderful job for us. So if you're someone like Jr. who has some expertise you want to share, or if you know somebody uh, who fits the bill, who you think uh, is worth hearing from for other people with disabilities, definitely let us know. The presenter proposal form is available on our website at familycafe.net, and the deadline for presentation proposals is January 8th of 2021. So we're looking forward to getting all those in and seeing what we're able to put on the agenda this year. Jr, I really want to thank you for being with us, man.
0: We we really appreciate your perspective. I look forward, hopefully, seeing you again here soon, and God willing, um, we get to uh, enjoy a full Family Cafe again this coming June. Thank you very much, Jr. Well, thank you
2: for the invitation. Be safe, be well, and have a great holiday season.
1: Thank you. You too.
2: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks, everybody, for joining us here today on the Family Cafe Disability Advocacy Hour podcast. Remember, all of our podcasts are available. You can find them wherever you get a podcast. I don't That's know right. where that is, the podcast aisle at your local grocer, I guess. Um, but more easily you could probably just visit our website once again, familycafe.net. One other thing you can find on the website I want to mention real quick is the annual questions and answers book. If you, uh, registered for this year's conference, you'll be getting one in the mail, but even if you did not, you'll be able to find the whole thing online in PDF format on our website, uh, starting this very week that we are recording. So, um, always a great resource guide. A lot of questions get answered in there and to save you some time trying to track down the answers yourselves. And please, if anybody
0: has heard anything, they have any further questions, uh, Jeremy and I, you can, uh, our email addresses are on the website. You can, you can, uh, direct message us through Facebook. There's all kinds of ways. we will be happy to answer any questions or concerns you have. Uh, and again, we appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Bye everybody.